Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, glad that you're here. I hope you're enjoying uh, your meal. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this afternoon. Thank you for this time of fellowship and this food you have blessed us with. Lord, we ask that you would now calm our hearts and open our minds to your word. Lord, would you meet with us here today, and would you fill us by your spirit? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you would, take your Bible or a Bible there on your table and turn to Psalm chapter 8. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 8. This is uh, a very familiar psalm. As soon as you open it up, oh yeah, I've read this one many times before. Uh, certainly opens in a very uh, memorable way. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're going to do a few weeks uh, now in the Psalms. John has taken us through true, true spirituality. This is not really a deviation from that, but just a few weeks in the Psalms. And this morning, a Psalm that this is not often how we think. Uh, shouting forth praise to God. He is great. He is majestic and wonderful. Often our prayers and our conversations with him are, Lord, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you heal this person? Uh, and all that is, is good for us to do, but we need to be reminded, as David does with us here, shouting our praise and thanks to our great God is very appropriate. So let me read for us Psalm chapter 8. <clears throat> o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the adventure. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we come to you again and ask that you would give us eyes to see your word. Lord, thank you that you are great and majestic. You are far greater than even the words we have to describe you. Lord, would you be with us now as we study from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> For a few moments, if you would humor me, let me get a little crowd participation. <laughs> I'm going to mention a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. So just blurt it out. Okay, I'm going to say something, and you give me your feedback. Vacation. Mountains, beach, that's right. Yeah, your favorite destination. Okay. You're going to roll your eyes. Georgia football. <laughs> Sorry, just a little jab from a Tennessee fan. Politician. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. We've had some of that the last few days. Pizza. Favorite food. Yeah. Committee meeting. Boring. That's right. And lastly, God. Loving, merciful, great. A.W. Tozer, a theologian, has famously said, What comes to our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is whatever comes to our mind when we think about God. What do you think when you think about God? What was the first thing that came to your mind when I mentioned the name of God? Maybe it is praise and adoration. Or maybe it is, what's he going to do for me next? What, what does he have in store for me? Why hasn't he done this or that for me yet? What is he doing with my life? When the name of God comes up, what do you think about? Where does your mind immediately go? Is it majestic in grand terms about who he is? <clears throat> the term majesty is not something we use often. It's of lofty dignity or imposing aspect, stately or grand. That's what Webster's Dictionary says. <laughs> is this usually how we think of the name of God? I would say that it is not. It's not the normal place that our mind goes to first. But David is taking us there. He's saying God is majestic. He's grand. He's enormous. He's big. He's so far outside of your comprehension. His glory surpasses everything that we can even think about. And this psalm is just that. It's a psalm of praise and adoration. As I mentioned before, this is not something we often do. Just shout praise to him. He's worthy of that praise, is he not? He's worthy of the greatest terms and words that we can think of. But it's often not how we consider him. He's, it's impossible for our mind to wrap around all that he can do and all that he is. But it is appropriate for us to exclaim just how awesome our great God is. So because he is so great, what should we do? Well, David, in this psalm, he's worshiping with his words, isn't he? So I want us to look at this psalm in two different ways, just two points. Who is God, and as a result, who is man? Who is God, what has he done, and in light of that, what or who is man? So the chapter begins, O Lord, our Lord. It, it's not just a repetition there. It's two different terms that David is using. The first being, O Lord, or O Yahweh, the covenant name of God. We studied this on Wednesday night uh, in my small group. Exodus chapter 3, God gives his covenant name to his people. Moses comes to God and says, the children of Israel, they're going to want to know by what authority I'm telling you to do these things. What should I tell them? He wasn't just asking for God's name as if my name's Andy. It's not any more than that. It's just it's the tag that goes with me. Names in the Old Testament had far deeper meanings. They were, they were your testimony. They were perhaps character traits that your parents hoped that you would have. They were, they were something far deeper than the way we use a name now. So when God says, I am that I am, or I am Yahweh, he was not just giving the name Moses was to use, he was telling something about him. As one commentator says of the name, God says, I am that I am, but what he was really saying was, I was who I was, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, I'm always, I am steadfast, and I am certain. This is who our God is. So David begins this psalm by making this exclusive claim. This Lord, this great God who we serve, he is one God and he's better than all the rest. <laughs> he's not just the God of Christians, he's the God of everything. He's created everything. He's over everything. He has no competition. John Piper says of this psalm, The name is majestic in all the earth. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Yahweh is the absolutely existing one. There is no place 
in all the earth where God is not Yahweh. He is absolute. He is everywhere. Everything depends on him. He has no viable competitors anywhere. He is above all things. He sustains all things. He is the ground and goal of all things. He is greater and wiser and more beautiful and wonderful than everything. O Lord, O Yahweh, our master, our king, our ruler, how majestic is your name. This is the point of the psalm for us to stand in awe and in worship of God. It's, it, it's, it, we rise together to give him our praise. David is taking our head and he is forcing it upward and saying, just take a look. Take a look at how great he is. <clears throat> he is the best. He is the only one. He has done all things. Now, David is speaking into a pluralistic culture just as we have a pluralistic culture. The biblical world, not so different than our own. Maybe it represents itself differently, but it's basically the same. Our culture says that no religion is any more valid than another. David, of course, is saying that is not true. No, there's only one God. There's not a God of the sun and a God of the water and a God of this and that. There's only one, and he did it all, and he's the one we're to praise. And David is trying to find the words to adequately express this. <laughs> you know, if we were to put David's opening sentence into the current day vernacular, it would be, oh God, you are really, really awesome, like absolutely great. <laughs> it's, it's if he's struggling to find the right words to say it but left wanting. He's meditated upon God's greatness, and this is what he has come to. When is the last time you meditated and thought upon the greatness of God? You studied perhaps the, perhaps the attributes of God. He is great. He is powerful. He's omniscient and omnipotent. You really considered how far above he is than we are, how transcendent, how good, and how gracious I encourage you to do that. Study exactly who God is. In the second part of verse 1, it says, God's glory is above the heavens. In other words, this, this world can't contain how great he is. Then verse 2, it says, Even in the most improbable of places, God's greatness is being proclaimed. Like, okay, I get it. I can see, you know, maybe David was on his balcony, and he looked out to the stars and the expanse of heaven, and I can see the greatness of God. He created all these things. But David is saying, not only do we see it there, we also see it in babies and in infants. The weakest, so to speak, of what has been created. The vastness of the universe proclaims one thing, and the cooing of a little child proclaims the exact same thing. God is great and wonderful. The simple and the great things are telling the same story. If you're familiar with Fox's Books of Martyrs, it's a book that has stories of martyrs uh, in church history. A couple of very short uh, but interesting stories from that book. Uh, a man was burned at the stake, and he was carried to the fire in a chair because of the cruelty of the Roman church had left him unable to walk. And as he stood there about to be burned, children had gathered around where he was, holding hands, saying, Lord, strengthen thy servant and keep thy promise. Little children doing this. Another story of Roman chaplains who had mistreated a great Scottish martyr. They claimed that he had a devil in him. And a child standing in the crowd shouted, A devil cannot speak such words as this man has spoken. As this man proclaimed the gospel of grace as he was being burned. David is showing a contrast here. We see God's greatness in the heavens and in creation, but we also see it 
from the mouths of little babies. They, they bring strength. They bring truth to us. So what do you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Do you think he's majestic? Do you think there is none greater than he? Do you think he's the only one? Do you think his name is excellent? Do you think only in his name are we saved? Are you ashamed of his name? You don't want to say it too loudly. You don't really want your coworkers to, believe, to know what you believe. You want to serve him, but you don't want to go too far so people might call you radical or crazy or weird. We want to keep God at an arm's length. We just don't want to get too serious with our faith. But is his name majestic to you? How can we be silent if he really is what David says that he is? How great is his name to you? After all, look at all that he has done. But David continues in verse 3. By surveying and contemplating the works of creation. As I mentioned, you imagine David standing on his balcony looking out into the night sky and thinking about all that he sees. Just how great and grand God is. He's highlighting the majesty of God. Nothing compares to him. He's infinitely good. But why doesn't everyone see it this way? Some of us, we look out in the night sky or at the beach or something great in creation, and we come to the conclusion, how great is our God? But not everyone sees it this way. They have the same information, but a different conclusion. We're going to go more in-depth into that very idea in a couple of weeks when we study Psalm 19, but I wanted to make mention of it. God generally reveals himself to everyone in his creation. Romans 1 says that because of this, no one has a valid excuse to not believe in God. The same creation that David sees is the same one that we see, and it's proclaiming the greatness of God. Here's just a few facts that I've, as I've done some research this week about the vastness of our universe. This really will make your head start hurting, because it did me. Did you know that the diameter of the Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. So traveling at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to get across just our galaxy. And the scientist's best guess is there is approximately 100 billion galaxies in the universe. Our Earth can fit in, you probably know some of these, our Earth can fit into the sun 1.3 million times. That's how big the sun is. And if you wanted to travel across the surface of the sun, Well, you'd travel about 864,000 miles. But hang on. This is what I just learned yesterday. The largest star that has ever been discovered is called Canis Majoris. It's a red supergiant located about 5,000 light years from Earth. And it is believed to be 1,500 times larger than the sun. And if it was sitting in the place of the sun in our solar system, it would reach past the orbit of Saturn. It's like, okay, we can debate some of the exactness of these numbers, but the point is, it's really, really big out there. It's vast, far more than we can even comprehend. And we haven't even got into what hypothetically scientists believe, even bigger galaxies and bigger stars there might actually be. So it leads you down to two things. One, doesn't it lead us to worship? A God that can do these wonderful things, he's got to be worthy of our praise. It's one thing David's trying to get us to see. He is so great and majestic. Look what he can do. But an obvious question that David raises in verse 4 is, well, then what is man? 
But based on all this, why man? You seem to believe that man is significant, but it, in comparison to all these other things, what is man? Number two, who is God? He's great and majestic and worthy of our praise. But in light of that, who is man? As I mentioned, David asked the obvious question: Why do you care for man? In comparison, he's so insignificantly small compared to everything else that's been created. He takes up so little space, but yet there seems to be something very unique about mankind. Man or mankind is so extremely small, yet has so great importance. God seems to care for our enjoyments and our worries, our complaints and our fears and our joys. Why? You know, you're not going to win a whole lot of friends these days telling them that man is insignificant and small and not really that great. Even as Christians, we don't want to consider how insignificant we are. But God shows us that we actually do have great significance for many reasons. We exalt, unfortunately, in our culture, uh, it has, all of this has been flipped upside down. In the church, hopefully, by God's grace, we exalt the God. We know our place as sinful man, and we know our understanding in relation to God. But the culture has done this, has it not? It's, we have exalted man... And God has really been made in our own image. It's, we, we're going to have him look like and have his opinions be our opinions and not his. Because our belief really is that man is infallible and whatever man desires and thinks, that it, it should be done and everyone should agree with us. Do you ever feel yourself doing that? When put the way I just put it, no, that's not how we believe. We exalt God and not man. But don't we often exalt our own opinions over even what Scripture says? our own desires over what Scripture says our desires ought to be, we do this same thing. Culture believes that man is the ultimate, and so we fashion our view of God into our image instead of what he has revealed himself to be. It's what Phil Riken says in his book, City on a Hill. Our session here at the church and our staff has been studying this book, and Phil Riken says these two things. Our culture is plagued by two things, relativism and narcissism. Relativism, as he defines it, is radical skepticism. There is no absolute truth. Narcissism, as he defines it, is this radical individualism, or we're just so infatuated with ourself. People believe if I just do what makes me happy, then what could be wrong with that? I know what's right for me. No one else can tell me what to do. We're exalting man and degrading God in doing that. It seems outrageous to claim that God centers his interest upon us, upon mankind, but he does. What is man? What is the Son of Man? The psalm speaks of the greatness of God, but it doesn't lead us to believe that man is insignificant. Man is not insignificant. In comparison, it it leads David to ask that question. But the report of Scripture is that we are hardly insignificant. We may feel this way or may seem this way, but it is not true. Because we've been made the caretakers of this earth. David goes on. We've been given dominion over creation. We can do this because God's gifted us for it. God was under no obligation to do this, and he tells us in Genesis chapter 1, we are made in his image. Nothing else in creation is in his image, so there's something unique about us. I don't know if you've been following. Uh, There's been, I guess, a few weeks now. The story of the girl, Brittany Maynard. 
Brittany Maynard is a young, was a young late girl in her late 20s, and she very publicly uh, decided that she was going to kill herself uh, through prescription drugs. And she believed that her reasons for doing this ought to be applauded, that she wanted to end her life. She had an inoperable brain tumor, and she wanted to die with dignity, as she said, and it was a right that she had to do so. One of her main talking points was how personal a decision this was for her, that this was so personal. And she thought that she should not be judged for this for what she was doing. Unfortunately for Brittany, her decision is anything but personal and anything but private. First of all, it has sparked a debate where there are five states now that have a physician-assisted suicide, and the debate has, has now been kicked up again in this country. Death with dignity, it is called. You know, I heard a preacher recently say that we truly are living in a culture of death in America. The decision for Brittany is hardly private, and it's hardly one for her to make. Why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up this particular story, which seems as a downer to this otherwise uplifting psalm? Because Brittany is degrading the image of God that she has within herself. That matters because of what David is saying here, and it matters to how we are to speak and to proclaim God's love to this world. Brittany is of great worth because God declared that it was so because she was made in the image of God. You think that because you can't have the life that you want that you ought to be able to end it on your own terms. But Brittany may wake up on the other side of all this, not only without her life, but now also without God, which is a far more horrible reality. But what is man that God is mindful of him? We're in his image. Why are we worthy? Why can we stare into the face of something horrible like that and say, but I'm of great worth, there's no reason in ending this? It's not because of a worth I have conjured up within myself or I have, I have discovered it or I've been tasked with finding my own worth. I've been given worth by him. Do you see this? We've got to stop looking for it on our own and rest in the love of Christ that we have and that's been given to us. Instead, we look for our worth in our jobs. We look for it in our spouses and in our relationships. We look for it in the way we look. We look for it in the things that we have. We even look for it within ourselves. Brittany missed this because she thought God, she was God, and she was able to make these decisions for herself, and that she was tasked with finding worth within herself and not outside of herself in God. God offers us a worth that we cannot earn and we cannot lose. It's something that's been given to us. We are made in his image. We have abilities to care for his creation because he's given them to us. And David, in these concluding verses, he's telling us this is what we're here to do. Have dominion over creation. I'm giving you the worth. I'm giving you your task that you have. And then the psalm ends in the same way that it began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This was a literary tool that was often used in Hebrew literature. You would end something the same way that you began it, which was implying everything in between had to do with it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When was the last time you stopped and you just praised him? Lord, you are great. You are mighty. You are wonderful. Your works are always good. I love you. I adore you. 
He's coming again. He's coming again to take us to be with him. And as Revelation shows us, we'll be shouting that praise to him. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, you will see that the author of Hebrews quotes this psalm. It says that ultimately the psalm is talking about Jesus. Who is man that you, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God is mindful of man because he's mindful of the son of man, Jesus Christ. We are in God, we are loved by him because of what the man, Jesus Christ, did on our behalf. We don't have to choose death to escape suffering or somehow find worth in what we have. We have it because of Christ. And let our words of the hymn writer Edward Perinet, who wrote the great hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Let his words be our words this, uh, today. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him the Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him the Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him the Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him the Lord of all. We don't often talk this way anymore. But he is the great God, and he is to be crowned the Lord of all. His name is the only name that we must worship and believe in. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, what is man that you are mindful of us? You're mindful of us because of Jesus. You're mindful of us because of the worth that you have given us because of him. Lord, let us never neglect giving you our praise and adoration. You are matchless. There is none like you. There is no one close. You have done great things, far greater than we can ever know. But you have chosen to have a relationship with us. And we thank you for that. Would you be with us now as we go back to work, go about our day, that we would live in the great hope that you are God and you are in control and you do all that you please. And that is for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.